Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on X, the former Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. As you can probably tell by the sound of my voice, I'm a little under the weather. Less under the weather than I was a couple days ago, but it's one of the big reasons why there's been such a delay since my last episode. So I'm playing a little bit hurt but couldn't wait any longer to get this episode out so that I can get to the next one because there's a lot to get to. I'm going to bridge the gap and do two topics in this one and with one of the topics being fun and the other may be a little aggravating depending on where what your stance is. The first is inspired by something I saw posted by a couple of different people which has to do with great players whose careers were derailed by injury. The question being, who would have had the best career had they not been injured? The second topic has to do with an article by The Ringer that examines Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr's complaint, this is probably about a week or so ago now, that defense has been legislated out of the league and the article examined it by looking at the number of free throws and type of shooting fouls the last few years versus those in previous decades. It was an interesting article, but as with so many stories based on data in search of a real-life narrative, it gets lost in what the statistics say versus what is simply visible to anyone who has been watching games over the last few decades. But let's hit the fun topic first. The players whose careers were derailed by injury and given as candidates for best ever had they not been injured were Tracy McGrady, Derek Rose, Yao Ming, Brandon Roy, and Grant Hill. It's a really interesting list. I didn't come up with it. It was the one that I saw and I wanted to address it. I'm taking T-Mac 
my surprise some of you I'm taking McGrady out of the running first that's because T-Mac's injuries were in part because he wasn't always in peak shape he's one of those guys who always had an athletic body he didn't put on weight but he wasn't great about conditioning what I've been told is that when he did get injured he also wasn't diligent about doing the rehab work necessary to protect himself from getting injured again or coming back as quickly as he might. I've heard the same about Anthony Davis for what it's worth. And I point to the fact that T-Mac was never an active part of a team that advanced past the first round of the playoffs to the same lack of attention to detail and urgency that he did not apply to his conditioning and his fitness. And even when healthy, never got past the first round. Now, T-Mac was blessed with far more natural physical gifts than even the late Kobe Bryant, but he failed to make the most of them. In my estimation, that's on him, not bad luck or faulty genes. The toughest one on the list for me is Brandon Roy for a number of reasons. The biggest being that his career was so short, essentially four and a half seasons with three playoff appearances, all first round exits. So it's really hard to know just how good he could have been. He was a playmaking, for those who may not be familiar with his game, he was a playmaking two guard. And while he made three all-star appearances and made two all-NBA teams, one second team, one third team selection, He just didn't have enough time to fully blossom. He reminded me of Andre Miller as a big-bodied guard who got to his spots utilizing his size. Uh, Brandon Roy was listed as 6'6 and 215 pounds, although he probably looked at least 10 pounds beefier than that to me. Had the IQ and all-around skills to run a team. He didn't have blazing speed and he didn't have a crazy wingspan. Think of Fred Van Vliet's game in a much bigger body for someone who needs a more current player than Andre Miller to relate to. Now, guys like that can be champions or all-time greats, but they usually need a quality supporting cast so they can utilize their leadership and IQ and floor general skills. I can't put Brandon Roy at the top of my list either because I'm not convinced he would have been anything more in Portland than Damian Lillard proved to be or Kevin Garnett was in Minnesota. A perennial all-star who got his team to the playoffs every year but couldn't necessarily go to that next level to lift the team to title contention. Just didn't see enough evidence of that to be able to extrapolate, yeah, if he'd been around longer, he would have done more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yao Ming might just be the most intriguing prospect. Obviously, he had the physical traits to be dominant at 7 foot 5 and 
280-some pounds, and he was uniquely skilled for someone that size, particularly at that time. We're talking about the 2000s. He was the precursor to Nikola Jokic. Now, the, the Joker has more wiggle and is far better off the dribble. You'd never want to see Yao handling the ball in the open court. But when it comes to seeing the floor, jump shooting, making the post a torture chamber, scoring with either hand from six feet and setting screens, he was good as anyone in the league at the time. And while he wasn't as agile as Jokic, he was a lot tougher on defense. Although he was in an era where physicality had not been outlawed yet. More on that later. <laughs> but there was far more post play and he was very good defensively that way and put in the effort in terms of pick and roll situations. Also probably didn't have the floor expanded to the same level so he could be more effective in pick and roll. Again, in today's game, he would have I would have I would have expected that he would have uh, his three-point shooting would have evolved and he would have been a threat that way. Um, if Marcus All can wind up being a three-point shooter and Brook Lopez can be three-point, if all those bigs can be three-point shooters, then somebody who came into the league with, with Yao's jump shot certainly would have been a three-point threat. In this era of centers spotting up outside the three-point arc. Look, I would have loved to have seen Yao play 10 good years. He's listed as having played seven, but the reality is he started having major issues, major, major physical issues after his first three. And that's because he had a couple of innate problems. One, his lungs were genetically small for someone his size. So he had to put in an incredible amount of work to maximize his conditioning. And that created a vicious circle because of how he had trained as a youth. Eight hours a day in subpar facilities with less than state-of-the-art treatment and recovery methods. The chronic foot issues that ended up forcing him into retirement were a product of all of that. So if the question was, would you have liked to have seen a career under completely different circumstances or maybe in a different era then Yao would be my pick. But that's not the question. Who would have been the greatest if they didn't have injuries? And then there's Grant Hill. What I admire, admire most about Grant is that he was a bona fide star in the league. One of those like Lillard or KG or Jimmy Butler who could single-handedly take pretty much any team and drag it into the postseason. That's essentially what he did in Detroit for the first six years of his career. Getting, to the, getting the Pistons to the playoffs all but his rookie year with players like Allen Houston and Lindsey Hunter and Jerry Stackhouse as his wingmen. And I'm not saying all those guys were his wingmen. Like, they took turns. They cycled through those guys. Joe Dumars. Yes, that Joe Dumars. <laughs> now the head of officials or punishment being meted in the league. Uh, was probably his most consistent teammate in Detroit. And then Grant had the ankle injury and the treatment of which nearly cost him his life. You can Google that. I'm not going to go into all the details there. But he was clearly never the same. And 
rather than call it a career, particularly someone who's obviously had a future in broadcasting and business and a variety of things, he could have easily walked off into the sunset or been bitter about how his ankle was treated and the cost it, it had on his career. He reinvented himself into a crafty and diligent role player and ended up playing until he was 40 years old. Now, again, I don't know how far he could have gone, how high he could have risen based on what we saw when he was healthy. But we did see that with my clear choice as the answer to this question. And that is Derrick Rose. Let's be clear. As weak as the supporting cast that Grant may have had in Detroit or Brandon Roy had in Portland and Brandon Roy had LaMarcus Aldridge, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Rose's in Chicago. His supporting cast was no better. We're talking Ben Gordon, Lou Aldang, Tyrus Thomas, Joakim Noah. Those were the four other starters that he took to the playoffs and extended the defending champion Boston Celtics to seven games. The Boston Celtics who had KG and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and Rajon Rondo and Sam Cassell and James Posey. The Celtics were loaded and a 20-year-old Rose as a rookie gave them all they could handle. Grant Hill didn't go to the playoffs as a rookie. Brandon Roy didn't go to the playoffs as a rookie. I think it took him two years to get there. Yao Ming didn't go as a rookie. Tracy McGrady took a couple of years before he got there. Derrick Rose is the only one who led a team to the playoffs as a rookie and then nearly knocked out the defending champions. By Rose's third year, he was league MVP, youngest ever, and carrying the Bulls to the best record in the league and the Eastern Conference Finals. With essentially the same team as his rookie year, playing against the likes of LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh, and knocking aside Paul George and Danny Granger and Roy Hibbert to get to those Eastern Conference Finals. Well, the problem is that Derek, unlike T-Mac, played too damn hard. He'd go back to the Bulls' training facility at night and play three-on-three. Three. He was a Tom Thibodeau disciple. He played through injuries. He never wanted to come off the floor. He had the athleticism, the size for a point guard, and the mindset. He was humble, yet electric. You think Jimmy Butler is a leader? He wanted to be the leader after Derek got hurt. And the Bulls players were like, nah, this is Derek's team. Derek didn't even have to confront Jimmy on that. Joakim and the others did for him. He was that kind of a leader. Derek is still playing, of course, and there have been a couple of situations where I feel as if he could have been used more effectively. But in some ways, he's a combination of the other four aforementioned players. He has evolved to be a supporting cast player, sublimating his ego like Grant Hill. He was blessed with one-of-a-kind physical attributes like T-Mac. He was a humble but fierce teammate and willing to play through injury, like Yao. And his peak came all too soon, like B-Roy. Now, about Steve's, Steve Kerr's complaint 
and the article that suggested it made no sense based on the statistics. The best part of the piece, in my view, was the writer revealing that he worked as an intramural ref in college and officiated some games of a grad student who played with Jeremy Lin as an undergrad at Harvard. So a guy I think was close to seven feet, maybe 250 pounds. You can imagine a guy, guy of that size playing intramural <laughs> hoops and what a challenge it would have been to, to ref him. Actually, it would have been easy. He, he would dominate. I'm not calling... I'm, I mean, I'm, I am calling fouls uh, on the opposition because there's no way they could have stopped him otherwise. Having refed myself, I appreciate that the writer understands how challenging that job is. And I'm not mad at him for defending the, ref, the NBA referees or referees in general. The issue that I have is making this a statistical argument, as if we can divine whether Steve was right or not based on the statistics that his statement that defense has been legislated out of the league can be determined by studying the analytics. Uh, the writer points out that free throws and fouls are actually down, have been down, and the last four seasons have registered the fewest free throws and fouls in league history since they've been keeping track of them. Now, it's hard to argue with that statement, right? But does that mean that defense hasn't been legislated out of the game? Or does it mean that the touch fouls at the rim and the fear of contesting threes and stepping into a shooter's landing space has resulted in players no longer even, even attempting to defend those plays in the same way? I know the eye test is considered a quaint way to measure the game. But anyone who's been watching the NBA for more than the last 10 years would assure you that defense is not played the same way and that offensive players, rather than trying to get a step and an angle to get a shot, are now about, how do I get the referee to blow his whistle? The players themselves will tell you that the game has changed that way. 20 years ago, flopping was a thing in soccer, not basketball. And as a former soccer, collegiate soccer player, I can tell you it's been, I don't want to say gratifying, but soccer always got such a bad name because of all the guys rolling around, the actors out there taking dives. And now basketball players are doing it without any shame whatsoever. <laughs> it's become the complete reverse. So if we're going to really examine this, I don't think that the number of free throws or fouls can answer the question. What is being called a foul? How is that foul being drawn? Who is drawing the majority of them? What kind of shots are drawing them? Those are the questions that need to be asked. Those are the statistics, if those could be gathered, might tell us something about whether or not the game has changed. Now, Kerr left himself open to second-guessing by the ringer and anybody else because he chose to air his theory after facing Nikola Jokic in the Nuggets and losing, with Jokic scoring 18 points from the free-throw line. It was relatively easy to say, hey, Jokic normally doesn't make that many trips to the free-throw line. Again, technically accurate. 
But shouldn't we be assessing the kind of calls that were made in that game rather than just dismissing Kerr's contention because he picked the wrong time to air it? Look, I, I probably appreciate investigative journalism more than most. I'm not opposed to contrarians and devil's advocates. I've been known to play that role myself now and then. And I also appreciate, especially appreciate, any writer or reporter who is willing to challenge the thoughts and theories and proclamations of athletes and coaches, particularly the powerful ones that all too many writers and reporters pander to or just give a pass on if they said it, it must be true. Where I take issue with the ringer taking issue with Kerr's statement is that if you asked any coach or GM or player who's been around the game for the last 20 to 25 years, they would echo Kerr's sentiment because they've lived it. They are the ones who have had to coach or play defense and have experienced how the game is officiated different. And Kerr happened to do all three, played, worked as a GM, and is now coaching. If anyone would be aware of how the game has changed, how officiating has changed, it would be him. His opinion wasn't crafted off of this one game against the Denver Nuggets. Teams and players are not going to continue to put opponents on the foul line when getting anywhere near an offensive player is going to draw a foul. So yes, I, I can see where there may be fewer fouls today. Because... Teams have stopped playing defense. Straight line drives, fewer big men protecting the rim. It's, why should I go up? I, I, don't, I don't have the size to block this. And chances are, if there's any contact, the guy's going to the free throw line. Let's let them score, take it out of bounds, and try to run it back down their throat the other way. Especially if it's a layup at the rim, maybe we get a transition three. That's how the game that's how many teams are trying to win. Most teams, I would say, are trying to win the game this, these days. Teams, coaches, players adjust. They always have, and I'm pretty sure that they always will. So when they know that there's going to be an easy, quick whistle on any sort of contact, they're just going to stop contesting the same way or with the same frequency, resulting in what? Fewer fouls and fewer free throws. Now, Kerr's timing may have been way off, but his point certainly wasn't. And the NBA is a tougher watch because of it. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. I made it. I made it through. Uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Don't judge my voice. It'll be better by the next one, I promise. Uh, but rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I might just have a surprise for you. A surprise guest, if you will. And I'm going to leave it at that. Someone has been bugging me to come on the show. Actually, a number of people have. And I've said flatly, I don't have guests. But this one is somewhat near and dear to me, so I may have to, I may have to make a, an exception. We shall see. If not, 
Well, in any case, whether I have the guest or not, we will be diving into the latest in the NBA. A whole lot going on. The Thunder stepping up, uh, well, stepping up against the Celtics, and then stepping back against the Atlanta Hawks. Have a number of guys that are vying to be the next great players, and we need to discuss that. Tyrese Halliburton versus the Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Who would you want? Who would you pick first? I know who I would go with. My guest seems to have a different opinion. So that's what we may get into in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, stay healthy and thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.